begin the service, but I got caught up in Mother's Day and thankful for our mothers. But I, I do want to pause real quick and say happy birthday to Kyle Deason. Today's his 30th birthday. So happy birthday. Everybody say happy birthday, Kyle. He tried to play the 29 card. No, you're sorry. But happy birthday. And, and, and uh, 30 years ago, his mother got the blessing of all blood. Never mind. <laughs> we'll save that for another service. Uh, so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to open with me to two different places. Psalm 121 and Isaiah 41. Psalm 121, Isaiah 41 is where we're going to be today. And this morning on this Mother's Day, we continue on in our Dangerous Prayers series where we are walking through some pretty powerful prayers from the Word of God. As we've said from the beginning, these prayers aren't easy prayers. They're not safe prayers. They're not monotonous Prayers, they are dangerous prayers, but they are dangerous in a very, very good way. For if we pray them from the depths of our hearts, they have the, the potential to accomplish some pretty God-sized things in us and then through us. And just think about the prayers we've focused on so far. Search me, break me, send me, use me. All of those are prayers that humble us. For they remind us that there is a God who is Lord and he's not us. So all these prayers remind us that we're not God, that he is God. He is the all-knowing, the all-powerful one who knows us, can break us, and praise God as we saw last week, can still use us and desires to use us. And some of these prayers, especially the one that we come to this morning, might not seem like a dangerous prayer at all. Um, but each of these prayers are about us giving up our control for the sake of his authority, for the sake of his purposes, for the sake of his control. And I think one of the realities that's true of every single person in this room, in our sinful flesh, is that we are all, in our sinful flesh, we are allergic to humility. All of us, we're allergic to humility. We're allergic to not being in control. Um, we want to be in control. We want things to go according to our plan. And when things don't go according to our plan, guess who we blame? God. Um, we blame him for not um, consulting us with the pattern that we want for our lives. But just, just think about this. There are moments, and it seems to be when moments seem to be most out of control are the moments that produce the most humility in us. Each of us has a particular level um, by, by which our ability, our strength will fail us and we cry out, God, help us. The question becomes, how low was, must we be brought before we cry out to God for um, that help? And for many, it doesn't happen until we receive disappointing results to a medical test or devastating news about a family member. Um, we ha have to be brought low where our emotions are a complete and total mess and we don't know whether we're angry, whether we're panicked, whether we're scared or fearful or whether we're just losing it. What we do know is that we're not in control. What, what we do know is we can't do it on our own strength. And let me just kind of lay an umbrella, a few umbrella statements over every single one of us in this room that apply to every one of us, which, which are these. Every one of us needs help. Every one of us. We are not God. 
We have needs. We have weaknesses. We live in a state often of confusion. We have limitations at every turn. We need help. Yet here's the crazy irony of us. We don't like to ask for help. It's crazy. We need help. We don't like to ask for help. God reminded me this week. I was in the store and an associate came up and said, may I help you, sir? And I said, no, I'm good. And as soon as I said it, God just spoke to my heart and said, you idiot, you're not good. You have no idea what you're looking for, but yet you won't humble yourself and ask for help. So I chased the guy down. I said, hey, man, I lied to you. I need help. And uh, he said, we get that all the time. And it made me feel a little better. But I'm willing to bet I'm not the only one in this room that has a hard time asking for help. In fact, I'm willing to bet that every single one of us has areas in our lives where we refuse to let go and we refuse to seek help in that way. Listen, none of us like to admit that we don't know, that we don't understand, or that we can't do it. It's hard to cry out to God for help. And I think the reason it's so hard is because we have bought into two very seductive lies in our culture. The first lie is the lie of autonomy, which means um, I'm an independent being that can do what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want, and nobody can tell me anything differently. And I know some of us would say, well, that's not me, but let me ask you a question. How do you respond when a brother or sister in Christ comes to you in love and says, hey, I see something in your life, can I speak to you? How often do we go, who are you to tell me? Who are you to speak to me? I can do what I want to do. And we're so quick to fall for that lie when we're being confronted by a brother and sister who cares for us. Or the second lie is the lie of self-sufficiency, which tells us that everything we need, we have. We can provide for ourselves. And again, we might say, well, that's not me, but let me ask you a question. Or let me just not ask you a question. Let me just lay this before you. Every time you don't reach out for help or every time you act like everything is okay when you know good and well it's not okay, you're falling for this lie. Every time. Every time we refuse to ask for the help that God is telling us to ask for, we are falling for the lie of self-sufficiency. And let me just show you what that looks like in in, in light of the help that, that we need. Think of the story of citizens of Feldrick, Austria, um, were at a place where they did not know what to do. Napoleon's massive army was preparing to attack them. Soldiers had been spotted at the greatest heights around the city and at the lowest depths of the city just waiting to attack. So the people came together in the city to discuss whether they would defend themselves or whether they would just raise the white flag of surrender. Well, it just so happened that they were meeting inside of a church, and it just so happened that it was Easter Sunday. So it just so happened that the pastor stood up and said, Friends, we have been counting on our own strength for far too long, and apparently our strength has failed. Before I go on, let me say that again. Maybe that's true of us today. Have we been counting on our own strength for far too long, and has our strength failed us? Then he says this, as this day is our Lord's resurrection day, let us ring the bells, have our service as usual, and leave the matter in the hands of God. So the council accepted his plan and the church bells rang. The enemy, upon hearing the sudden peal of the bells, concluded that the Austrian army must have shown up overnight and they were ready to attack. Therefore, before the service had even ended, the enemy had broke camp and left. 
And let me just lay this before us. We too may be facing circumstances that threaten to crush us or we might be um, facing enemies that desire to conquer us. Yet, here's what we have to understand. Our hope will never be found in us. Our hope will never be found in our ability or our strength or our wisdom and what we can do. Our hope can only be found in Jehovah Azir, which means a name for God, which means he is the Lord who is our help. The Lord who is our help. I love the words of Spurgeon who says this, When you are in trouble, ask God for help. Ask believing that he is able to give it. Ask expecting that he will bestow it. Do not grieve the Spirit of God with doubts and mistrust. However hard the struggle, however difficult the trial, seek the Lord and seek him in the confidence he deserves. Depend only on the arm invisible, on the arm omnipotent. So this morning, the dangerous prayer that we come to is the prayer, Lord, help me. And we come to this prayer. Let me just lay this out here. We come to this prayer either having or, or either right now walking through a difficult time, just got out of a difficult time, or unbeknownst to us, we are about to enter into a difficult time. I, I don't know um, what each of us in this room is going through. In fact, I, I don't know what... It's going to happen in my life, let alone your life tomorrow. There's so much I don't know, but here's what I do know. I do know that you and I are in desperate need of a God who has no needs. We're in desperate need of a God who has zero deficiencies. He never fails. We are in need. And let me just say this. None of us deserve the need that God gives. But thankfully, it's a gracious help. Or we don't deserve the, the, the help that he gives. It's a gracious help to us. So let us jump into the word this morning and let the word point us to the one who is and forever will be our great helper. So if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Psalm 121 verses 1 through 4 together and then jump over to Isaiah chapter 41. So beginning at Psalm 121, um, the psalmist says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth he will not let your foot be moved he who keeps you will not slumber behold he who keeps israel will neither slumber nor sleep and if you can turn now to isaiah 41 we're going to read verses 10 and verse 13 together and this is the lord speaking god speaking and he says this verse 10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And look at verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, God, the reality is this prayer might not seem like a dangerous prayer to some in this room. But Lord, when we pray and ask you to help us, what we are in essence, what we are doing is we are giving up control of our lives. We are taking our hands off. We are saying no to the scheming that we try to do, Father, and we are trusting you to do what only you can do. 
So today we pray, God, that you would help us in a fresh and a new way to cry out to you, God, for what you have promised to give to us, which is help. Almighty, powerful, gracious help. God, just speak to us today by your word and through your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So before we jump in, let me just kind of reframe this a little bit. In the words of one theologian, the Christian life is not about a quiet escape um, where we walk in a garden every day and all we do is walk with God and talk with God. Nor is the, the Christian life a trip to a heavenly city where we sit around with other brothers and sisters and just compare the medals that we've won for serving the Lord. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is continually going to God. Yet, in going to God, get this, we as Christians, we travel the same roads that everyone else travel. We breathe the same air that every person breathes. We drink the same water. We shop at the same stores. We are citizens under the same governments. We pay the same prices for groceries and for gas. We often fear the same dangers um, and are subject to the same pressures. We get the same distresses and we are buried in the same dirt um, as everyone else. The difference is that in each step that we walk and every breath that we breathe, we know that we are preserved by God. We're accompanied by God. We're ruled by God. Therefore, regardless of what happens, we know that he is working it together for good and that he is our help. Just think about this. Here's what we know. Trouble can suffocate us. Worry can entangle us. The burden of suffering can feel intolerable. In fact, it can make us begin to ask questions that we know we shouldn't ask, but yet we ask them anyway. Questions like, where are you, God? Do you know what's going on in my life? Do you care what's going on in my life? Why haven't you answered me? Do you even hear me? Will you respond to me? These are the questions that our difficulties can lead us to ask. And I'm just going to kind of lighten it up real quick before we jump in. And this is where we need to be reminded, especially in a physical sense, that not everything that we deem as an emergency is an actual emergency. So let me just kind of lay this out there. People are supposed to call 911 for emergencies only. But some people either don't get the memo or don't seem to understand or just can't follow the rules. So let me just give you a few different um, instances where people have called 911. And, and I've had to uh, filter out all the um, non-church ones and kind of do the ones that we can say in church. So in 2012, a Connecticut man, we'll call him Dean, um, called 911 after Subway messed up his footlong sandwich order. In fact, he said people should be arrested for adding onions to his sandwich. A Florida woman called 911 when the nail tech at the nail salon didn't paint her nails in the correct shade of blue. Then she called the um, 911 every five minutes to ask when the police were going to show up and shut down the salon. An Oregon man called 911 to report that his local McDonald's had stolen from him when they failed to include the orange juice that he ordered. Um, in 2013, a four-year-old kind of made an um, internet sensation when a recording uh, of him calling 911 to ask for help on his math homework. Um, thankfully, the 
woman who answered provided him with help and how to, to add, and um, the, the rest is history. But um, the end, uh, let me give two more um, kind of main events to end with. In 2016, a Michigan police officer stole marijuana during a bust. He went home and made brownies with it that night and ended up calling 911 to tell the operator that he was dead. <laughs> Thankfully, he is no longer a police officer. And then after a long night of drinking, a Wisconsin woman called 911 to report a dangerous driver. After the dispatcher asked her whether she was behind the driver, she responded by saying, no, I am the driver. So here's, here's my thought, and that's probably a good reason to call, but here's my thought. There are times when our prayers have to sound more ridiculous than that um, in the ears of a holy and all-powerful God. There has to be time where our prayers have to sound absolutely ridiculous, that the things that we choose uh, or that we bring to God. But here's the beautiful detail. Here's the beautiful thing we, we cannot miss. Even in those moments, our God cares. He cares. He cares about every detail of our lives. He cares. He has taken the time, as we saw last week, to number every hair on our head. He cares for every detail that we face. He cares. So with the remaining time that we have this morning, I want us to unpack three truths as it relates to the Lord who is our helper. So the first truth is this. It's going to seem like it's kind of out of order, but I pray that it'll make sense in the end. So the first is this. We need help. He has provided help. We need help. He has provided help. Think about Psalm 121. And the psalmist asking the question, where does my help come from? Where does it come from? I lift my eyes to the hills. Where can I find help? Thankfully, the psalmist answers the question, my help comes from the Lord. Not from the hills, but from the God who made the hills. He is the mighty creator. And he goes on in verses 3 and 4 to say, and he doesn't sleep. God doesn't sleep. He is a tireless worker. He never wearies. There are times, brothers and sisters, where I can't sleep. I'm up. I'm worried about things. I'm worried about here. I'm worried about different things. And in those moments, I have to remind myself. And I have to pray to God. And I have to say, God, you're up. Therefore, I don't have to be. Help me to rest in that. You're up. I don't have to be. Help me to rest in that. And sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes I have to continue to say that. And eventually the Lord gives me the, the rest that I need. But he never, ever wearies. And just know this. Before we ever work for God, he has already worked for you. Before you and I ever do anything for God, he has already done a work for us. And what I want to do, I want to step back for a second and then move forward. This psalm in Psalm 121 was a psalm that the people would sing when they would make their way to the temple of Jerusalem. So as they would make their way to the, the temple of Jerusalem for whatever feast it was, they would um, understand that their help was in the Lord. But here's the, the problem. The problem is other nations also had hills on which they worshipped their gods. The Philistines had their hills, the Canaanites had their hills, the Amalekites had their hills where they would worship their gods. And here's the problem with that. Sometimes as God's people, we are tempted to believe that maybe the answer is on a different hill. Maybe my hope is not found in this hill. Maybe my hope is found in another hill. So the people of God were constantly tempted to say, man, is our God God or should we 
Follow that one. In fact, we have story after story after story of the stupid Israelites who um, God gave them the victory over the land and their gods. And what they do? Let's serve their gods. Their gods couldn't protect them from our gods, but how about let's worship them too? And the problem is we're quick to jump on the Israelites without remembering that we are them. So just, just keep that in mind. But the other thing is this. Not only are we tempted to find our hope in the other hills, there are other times that we think the other hills are going to kill us. They're going to crush us. There's things there that we can't help ourselves with. So there are times when, when false hills look like the solution or they look like our absolute demise. And in those moments, brothers and sisters, we cannot fret those things. Cannot fret those hills for God made the hills. Let me just lay this out here. Our despair over life in this fallen world would be the end of all of our stories were it not for a cross that was placed on another hill, the hill of Calvary, 2,000 years ago, where Jesus walked up that hill and faced down the great obstacle that stands in the way of every sinner. And that is this, the justified full wrath of of God due to sin. And Jesus on the cross endured every last drop of God's wrath and said, it is finished. And we must see and we must feel before any truth is that in the shadow of the cross, every affliction that we'll ever go through, every difficulty that tries to squeeze the life out of us or the joy out of us has been defeated. It has been defeated on the cross. Jesus defeated our great enemy and every consequence of, of what he brought into this world has been defeated at the cross. And let me just say this because this is what many Christians miss. If we can trust Christ with our greatest need, then we can trust him with every lesser need that we have. The problem is we as Christians get it confused. In fact, I would be willing to say that there are people in this room, if you were to ask them what their greatest need is, they would say, my greatest need is finances. My greatest need is relationship advice. My greatest need is this or that or, or, or direction or wisdom. And we fail to realize, no, our greatest need is a Savior. That's our greatest need. In fact, it's, it scares me that there are churches today that never focus on the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. All they focus on is that we are individuals in need of financial help or relational help or healing help and never the fact that all of that exists because we are sinners in need of a Savior. So understand that reality. That's our greatest need and Jesus has done something about that. So if we can trust him with that, then we can trust him with the lesser needs of our lives. We can trust him, brothers and sisters. In fact, I love what Spurgeon said. It's kind of long, but just hear this. Spurgeon says, hear the words of Jesus to you. I will help you. It is but a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Consider what I've already done for you. What, not help you? Why, I bought you with my blood. What, not help you? I have died for you. And if I have done the greater, will I not do the less? Help you is the least thing I will ever do for you. I have done more and will do more. I laid aside my glory and became a man for you. I gave up my life for you. And if I did all of this, I will surely help you now. 
In helping you, I am giving you what I have bought for you already. If you had need of a thousand times as much help, I would give it to you. And I love this. You require little compared with what I am ready to give. You require little compared to what I am ready to give. If there were an ant outside of your door asking for help, it wouldn't ruin you to feed that ant. And you are nothing but a tiny ant at the door of my all-sufficiency. I will help you. Gather up your wants and bring them here. Your emptiness, your woes, your needs. Behold, there is a river of God that's full for your supply. What can you desire besides me? And then he says this, go forth in this, the eternal God is your helper. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has done the greater. We can trust him with the lesser. Whatever that is, we can trust him with it. Just think about the Gospels. Think about a Canaanite woman coming to Jesus on behalf of her daughter saying, Lord, help me. Think about a a pleading father of a mute son who cried to the Lord, help us. Think about a a father who had a demonized son who wept and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or think about the disciples who were in a boat that was sinking. Thankfully, Jesus was in the boat, but they said, Lord, help us. And the Lord responded with great compassion to every single person who called out to him for help. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which leads us to the second truth, which is this. We need help. He has promised us help. He's promised us help. I read the other day that $5.8 billion in gift cards go unclaimed every year. Let that sink in. $5.8 billion. In the first service, I said that means that either your kids are ungracious or the adults don't know how to use gift cards. Don't know which one um, that, that is ungrateful or just not knowing. But here's the thing. All of that money is not utilized. The gift cards have been paid for. They just need to be cashed in, and they're not being cashed in. And here's what we have to understand. The Bible is filled with promises from God that we often disregard just like unused gift cards. Each promise, God is pledging that he will do something or won't do something and it will come to pass. God doesn't make promises like we do. His promises aren't just flippant. His promises aren't casual. Every promise that God makes is a rock-solid, unequivocal commitment from um, God himself. Someone who says, I'm not a man, I cannot lie. And one of the promises that God gives us is the promise that he will help us. I pulled out my concordance this week and counted all the promises of of God being our helper or God saying, I am the helper, I will give you help. And I, I counted over 60 promises of God saying, I will help you. In fact, think about what we just read, Isaiah 41, where God says, I will help you. Verse 13, it ends by saying, it is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you you is there more is there a more precious sentence in all the bible when we come to the end of our ropes and know that almighty god looks at us and says i'll help you i don't fear i will help you but here's the great news for us the promises don't stop there they don't stop in deuteronomy 33 listen to what it says there is none like god who rides through the heavens 
to your help. God rides through the heavens in order to help us. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God's not just a past help. He's not just a future help. He is a very present help. Psalm 115.11, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. We get to Hebrews 4.16 that says, Let us then with confidence, because of Jesus, draw near to the throne of grace, that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. According to 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So let this kind of sink in for a second. The promises of God have been purchased by the blood of Christ. There are over 60 gift cards in your Bible purchased by Jesus that guarantee that God will help us. And the problem is we aren't cashing them in. We aren't cashing them in. We're taking them upon ourselves. We're saying, I know I have this $100 gift card, but I'd rather pay for it myself. It's absurd how we live our lives. I know God says he can help me, but he really doesn't want to help me with this. I can do this myself. And we're not cashing in the promises of God. God will help you. And again, let me say this. I don't know what everyone in this room is going through. And I don't know what you will go through. But I do know this, if you are a child of God, you will not go through it apart from the help of God. He has promised that he will help you. And he is much, he, he is much abler, if that's even a good word, to accomplish his promises than we are. So he is able to accomplish what he promises to us. So just think about this. We need help. He's provided help. We need help. He has promised help. Which leads us to the last truth. We get help. And he gets all the glory. We get help and he gets all the glory. One of the, the things that amazes me about the Christian faith and amazes me about the word of God is that God doesn't demand our help. In fact, it's the, quite the opposite. God offers us his help. God doesn't come to us saying, like, like Uncle Sam, I need you. That's not the picture. The picture is God saying, you need me. You need me. I have no needs. I have no deficiencies. You have many. You need me. And the beautiful thing is God's not demanding. He is giving. He's not badgering. He's gracious. And when we ask for help, let me tell you why he gives us help. And this might, this might blow our minds today, but just it's on the screen. I, or Psalm 79, verse 9, it says, Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. According to the word of God, you know why God helps us? Not for your sake, not for my sake. God helps us for his sake. For the sake of his glory, God helps us. In fact, listen to Isaiah 30, 18. I love this. It says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. And it says this, and therefore, he exalts himself by showing mercy to you. He exalts himself by showing us mercy. There's always something. And so just, just think about this. God loves to show his tireless wisdom, his tireless power, his tireless grace and goodness by working on our behalf. And let me just lay this out here just so we understand. The gospel, the gospel is not a help wanted sign. The gospel is not God saying, I need 
Your help, please come to me. This isn't a door the explorer kind of kind of deal where God says, please help me. The gospel is a help available sign. You need help and I am sufficient. You can't do it and I can. You're not, but thankfully I am. And that is the picture of the gospel for us. Get this. We get help. We get deliverance. We get atonement. We get forgiveness. And in getting all of that, God gets the glory. That should blow our minds. God gets the glory. So pray for God's help. And then as God gives you the help, never stop giving him the glory. He is our helper and he never ceases to help us. But let me just step back for just a second and say this. All of these truths sound well and good until they're placed alongside a difficulty, unless they're placed alongside a tragedy, unless they're placed alongside our inability. And then we begin to say, well, will God really help me? Is this really true? Doesn't feel like God is helping me. Things seem to be out of control. Where is God? And let me just say this. I think whenever we come to that place, we can either go one of two directions. And I, I want to show you one more um, picture on the screen, which is two verses. These are one of two areas that we can go. We can either join the chorus of, of Thomas and say this, I will not believe. In the midst of my tragedy, in the midst of my circumstances, in the midst of my hurt, I'm not going to believe that God is going to help me. And let me just add this. One of the greatest lies that we believe in Scripture is we claim promises of God that God never promised. One of those is we say, well, God helps those who help themselves. You know, that's not in the Bible. Just so you know, I don't mean to blow your mind, but that's not in the Bible. I know there's a couple instances where like Paul's addressing the church and he says, hey, people are creeping in and they're, they're not working, but they're wanting to eat. And let me just throw it out there. If you don't work, um, you don't eat. So basically there's a picture there of you need to help yourself and for you asking for help. There's that standpoint. But here's if we're not careful, what we do is we let our circumstances convince us that I need to do something. And then if I do something, maybe God will show up and do his part. There couldn't be a further lie. What we do, brothers and sisters, is submit ourselves and trust that God is going to do something. We trust him. That's our part. We trust him. Now, if he's asking us to do something, we do it. We do it. Whatever it is, um, whatever, burrito, as we heard last week, whatever it is, we do it. If we know the spirit of God is doing it, but ultimately we rest in the fact that he is doing it. Before we work for him, he has already worked for us. So we can either say, I will never believe, or we can say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I believe all across this room today that there are brothers and sisters who would have to say that. You're walking through difficulty. You're walking through circumstances or maybe Either now or very soon, you're going to walk through a tragedy. And your only answer is going to be, God, I believe, but within me there is unbelief. Within me there is doubt. Within me there are questions. Within me there is fear. Within me there is the ability to turn away from you. God, I believe in you. I believe in your word and the things that I can't believe in this moment. God, help my unbelief. Today might be a day where we as God's people need to lay that down and say, God, I believe in the things that I can't understand right now. Lord, help me. Help my unbelief in that. Or 
Maybe you're here today and you're not a child of God. And you need God to remove that unbelief in your life. And the beautiful thing is God has done for you what you could never do for yourself. He has sent his son, Jesus, to be our Savior. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to call the musicians forward and we're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration and basically lay it here and say, are you at a place today where you are trusting God for his help? Do you need today to cry out and say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Whatever it is, may you do it. So Father, we come before you. And Lord, we confess right now that you are Jehovah is here. You are the God who is our helper. Lord, you have helped us and delivered us. You are delivering us and helping us. And you will deliver us. And you will continue to help us. God, help us to trust you with the help that you have promised. Help us to cash in, God, those those promises, Father, and believe them. Not, Not just of your help, but all your promises that you give to us as your people. Believing and knowing that, God, you don't give us explanations, God. You give us promises. You tell us to trust you with them. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, for those that are walking through difficulties today, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. For mothers, God, who are crushed in spirit over different circumstances, God, we believe. Help our unbelief. For others in this room, God, that have wandered from you because of difficulties, we believe today help our unbelief. God, whatever it is today, do it, we pray, for your name's sake. God, give us help that you may get all the glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh uh-huh.